2 Kings chapter 19, we're about to read this chapter, and in this chapter is the words of Isaiah the prophet. These words are found in the book of Isaiah, and they're found here. And as we read them, um, we're going to be hearing what the Lord said about the Assyrians. You know, like the Assyrians came, they besieged the city of Jerusalem. It was life and death. Hezekiah sought the Lord, and then Isaiah's word came. The word of the Lord came to Isaiah. When I get to talk about it later, I'm only going to comment on two verses. But I want you to be mindful that what we're listening to is the word of deliverance from the Lord. And such a powerful and incredible word. And then the Lord went out and did the thing he said. The Lord always does the thing he said. No word from God is without power, is what the angel said to, um, to Mary. And uh, so we're going to read the words of the Lord through Isaiah that came with power. And powerful today, just as much as it was powerful back then. When the king Hezekiah heard it, now that's the terrible message from the Assyrians that they were coming, he tore his clothes, covered himself with sackcloth, and went into Yahweh's house. He sent Eliakim, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. They said to him, Hezekiah says, Today is a day of trouble, of rebuke, and of rejection, for the children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to deliver them. It may be Yahweh your God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria his master has sent to defy the living God, and will rebuke the words which Yahweh your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. So the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah said to them, Tell your master this, Yahweh says, Don't be afraid of the words that you have heard with which the servant of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, and he will hear news, and will return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna, for he had heard that which he had heard that he had departed from Lashish. When he had heard of it, Tahaka, the king of Ethiopia, Behold, he has come out to fight against you. He sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Tell Hezekiah, king of Judah, this. Don't let your God in whom you trust deceive you, saying, Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands by destroying them utterly. Will you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them? which my fathers have destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the children of Eden who were in Telassa. Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sephavaim, of Hena and Eva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. Then Hezekiah went up to Yahweh's house and spread it before Yahweh. Hezekiah prayed before Yahweh and said, Yahweh, the God of Israel, who are enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, even you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, Yahweh, and hear. Open your eyes, Yahweh, and see. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to defy the living God. Truly, Yahweh, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods. 
but the work of men's hands, wood and stone, therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, Yahweh our God, save us, I beg you, out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Yahweh, are God alone. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Yahweh the God of Israel says, You have prayed to me against Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, and I have heard you. This is the word that Yahweh has spoken concerning him. The virgin daughter of Zion has despised you and ridiculed you. The daughter of Jerusalem has shaken her head at you. Whom have you defied and blasphemed? Against whom have you exalted your voice and lifted up your eyes on high? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have defied the Lord and have said, With the multitude of my chariots I have come up to the height of the mountains, to the innermost parts of Lebanon, and I will cut down its tall cedars and its choice cypress trees, and I will enter into his farthest lodging place, the forest of his fruitful field. I have dug and drunk strange waters, and I will dry up all the rivers of Egypt with the sole of my feet. Haven't you heard how I have done it long ago, and formed it of ancient times? Now I have brought it to pass that it should be yours to lay waste fortified cities into ruinous heaps. Therefore, their inhabitants had little power. They were dismayed and confounded. They were like the grass of the field, and like the green herb, like the grass of the housetops, and like the grain blasted before it has grown up. But I know you're sitting down, you're going out, and you're coming in, and you're raging against me. And because of your raging against me, and because of your arrogance has come to my ears, therefore I will put my hook in your nose, and my bridle in your lips, and I will turn you back by the way which you came. This will be the sign to you. This year you will eat that which grows of itself, and in the second year that which springs forth from that, and in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat fruit. The remnant that has escaped of the house of Judah will again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem a remnant will come and go out, and out of Mount Zion those who shall escape. Yahweh's zeal will perform this. Therefore Yahweh says concerning the king of Assyria, He will not come to this city, nor shoot an arrow there. He will not come before it with shield, nor cast a mound against it. He will return the same way that he came, and he will not come to this city, says Yahweh. For I will defend this city to save it, for my own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And that night... Yahweh's angel went out and struck 185,000 men in the camp of the Assyrians. When the men arose early in the morning, behold, there were all dead bodies. Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and lived in Nineveh. And he, as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, Adramelech and Sharita struck him with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat, and Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. So this is the story of the siege of Jerusalem by the Assyrians. And it's an interesting, interesting story. So he threatens, this is King Sennacherib. A lot of people pronounce it Sennacherib, which to me just doesn't sound right. To me, Sennacherib uh, <laughs> just sounds like you're guessing. To me, Sennacherib looks right or sounds a bit more Middle Eastern. I don't think anyone really knows how to say it. 
So I'm going with Sennacherib or Sennacherib, something like that. To me, that sounds more like it would have been. So that king sends messages to to Jerusalem saying, you know, what? why are you trusting in Hezekiah? Why are you trusting in, in Yahweh? You know, what God has delivered their, you know, delivered their nation out of my hands. So the king basically says, your God is no good for me. <laughs> um, Hezekiah goes to the Lord and says, Lord, you know, those gods couldn't deliver them because they're just idols. They're just made of wood and stone. But he says, Lord, you're the living God and deliver Jerusalem. So Hezekiah, he's, he really trusts in the Lord. And, but at the same time, Jerusalem is surrounded by a huge army of at least 185,000 soldiers. Now Hezekiah trusts in the Lord, but he's super practical as well. And uh, we're going to see this also in the next chapter where Hezekiah gets sick. Um, the, the, Lord, the Lord works miracles, but the Lord also... Um, you know, sometimes we do things as well. And so what, one of the things that Hezekiah did was he didn't just do nothing to prepare for this siege. He, he dug the most incredible tunnel under the city of Jerusalem in pre preparation for this siege. Now, this tunnel took a long time to dig, so he must have anticipated what was happening. And you'll remember at the start of not this chapter, but the one before, that Sennacherib, the Assyrians, they were conquering Israel to the north and they conquered the last king of Israel, Hoshea, and that siege of Samaria took three years. So in that period of time where they were, the siege of, of Samaria was happening, Hezekiah is the king in the south and he sees all of this. So he starts getting ready. He, he probably figures that they're coming. So he builds this tunnel, which is called today Hezekiah's Tunnel. And so there was this spring called the Gihon Spring, and you can go to Jerusalem and see the Gihon Spring. And the Gihon Spring just came up out of the ground. It was a fabulous spring which provided water for the whole city, but it ran down the hill and went out of the city. So what he did was built a tunnel to divert the spring back into the city, and that's, I'm pretty sure, the Pool of Siloam. You can go to Jerusalem today and go to the Pool of Siloam, and that's the end of Hezekiah's tunnel. And so basically he, he diverted the water back into the city which did two things. It basically kept the water supply inside the city so they had really good supply of water, which is what you need in a siege-like situation. But he also stopped the enemy outside the city from having any water. So when they came to siege the city, they had to get water from like some other place. And in my reading, I think it was like quite a few kilometers away that they had to carry water every day by donkey. Now, can you imagine carrying that amount of water for at least 185,000 soldiers. And I think the army would have been even bigger than that. That's just the amount that died. So this was a practical preparation for a siege. You know, he was making sure the people inside the city had a good supply of water, because if you could trap off the water supply, sieges will generally end within days. Um, but if you can't, sieges can take years. And um, so King Hezekiah was preparing, but, but by denying them water outside the city, it meant they had to carry water from elsewhere. And I'm pretty sure uh, in the Roman siege of Jerusalem, which, um, which happened in you know, AD 70, they were carrying water constantly by donkey. You know, there was constant donkeys bringing water the entire time for the Roman army. Like there was a system to make it happen, but it was a big effort. And so this was uh, what was happening here. Hezekiah was taking practical preparations. 
That tunnel, by the way, is fabulous. And it's like, if I had a bucket list of things I wanted to see in the world, this is like my number one on the bucket list. I wanna to go to Hezekiah's Tunnel in summer and take my children there. Apparently, in winter it's freezing, but in summer, <laughs> in summer it's a pleasant stroll through water, you know, like ankle, not ankle height, knee deep for 533 meters in, you know, under the city of Jerusalem, an amazing, amazing tunnel. And they started digging, apparently from both ends. They dug from both ends and they met in the middle and there's, a, there's an even slope the whole way down so the water can flow through this tunnel. And, uh, but they managed to meet. Now, how did they know? <laughs> how, do, how did they know how to meet? And, uh, and you know, how did they get the angles right? Well, that's, these are all engineering questions that, that we don't have answers for. Maybe someone does, but it's remarkable. And at the place where they met in the middle, there's an engraving, or well, there was an engraving on the wall that you know basically celebrated the fact that they'd met in the middle. Well, that engraving, I'm pretty sure, was chipped out by um, Ottomans, you know, the Turkish, the, because you know Jerusalem was under the control of the Turkish Empire for a long, long time, like at least 500 years, I think. And so that particular engraving, which was in the middle of the tunnel, was chipped out, and it's in a museum somewhere, I think, in Turkey. And um, so, you, but there's a replica of it there now, I believe. Anyway, that's my goal, is to go take my children to King Hezekiah's tunnel. And uh, children grow up so fast, and it's a lot of money to go to these places. So say a prayer for me that the Lord will provide a way for me to take my children there. Because I, I think there's nothing quite like seeing the Bible in life. You know, you read the story, like this chapter, for example, how the Lord delivered King Hezekiah and the whole city of Jerusalem and then going there and seeing this is the tunnel that King Hezekiah built. Or, you know, this is the, uh, you know, Via Della Rosa. This is the road where Jesus walked on, on the way to Calvary. This is the tomb where Jesus was buried, you know. This is the city where Jonah hopped on the boat. There's something about being in the place. You know, this is En Gedi, where David fled from Saul. And um, so it's something that brings the Bible alive by seeing it. Now, fortunately, you can watch, look at it all on YouTube too. And after this uh, video, why don't you just type into YouTube King Hezekiah's Tunnel and just have a look. It's very awesomely cool. So yeah, sure, I've showed my kids the videos of King Hezekiah's Tunnel, but we wanna go. <laughs> and we will, one day, God willing. So in this chapter, you know, Hezekiah prays, Lord, you know, those other gods were not even real, but you're real. And he, he cries out to the Lord, and the, and the prophet Isaiah gets that word from the Lord that we read, and I'm just going to take two snippets out of it. This is the first snippet, verse 29. The Lord said to Hezekiah, This year you will eat what grows by itself, and next year what springs forth from that, but in the third year sow and reap. So what the Lord was saying to Hezekiah was, You're in the city. You can't even get outside to grow crops. But this year you're going to eat stuff that's growing out there all by itself. See, the Lord's looking after them. And the Lord said, next year, you're going to eat food that springs forth from that. But then in the third year, in other words, the year after next, you plant, everything's going to be back to normal. You're going to be sowing and reaping and planting. So it's a promise. It's a wonderful promise. And the Lord has given me this promise for, for church. Uh, he gave it to me for Mount Morgan years ago. And he gave it to me for peace as well. And it's a promise to believe that at the moment, 
which was this year and next year, the Lord's going to provide for us all our needs. But in the third year, we're to sow and reap. In other words, it's about the gospel. It's about believing that we're going to reap a harvest of souls and there's a time coming for sowing and reaping. But now is the time for the Lord's going to provide. He's going to provide new people as we need them in church. And, um, but he's also providing all our needs in other ways as we focus on getting things back in order. You, you imagine King Hezekiah, you know, he's had a nation destroyed by the Assyrians. He's got to focus on getting things back in order. He doesn't personally have time to go out and plant crops. But the Lord's saying, look, I'm going to provide your needs this year and next year while you get everything sorted out. But in the third year, you sow and reap. And um, so that's a process we're going through here at Peace right now. We're putting a few things, we're changing a few things and and uh, we're not focusing on evangelism and, and except through our prayers, of course, and the Lord is bringing people along. But in that third year, we are going to sow and reap. It's a promise. Down in verse 32, I didn't write down the verse number. Later on in, the, in this message from Isaiah, the Lord said about the king of Assyria, he said, he will not enter this city. He will not shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield, and he will not build a mound, I think was in your version, in this version. He will not build a siege ramp against it. So the Lord gave a promise that Sennacherib would not shoot a single arrow, and that's exactly what happened. So historians, these are people who don't believe in the Lord. I mean, they might believe in God, but you know they're looking at history from a kind of a, uh, we're skeptical of, of the Bible point of view, they think that, you know, oh, you know, there wasn't really an angel that killed 185,000 men in one night. So they're trying to explain what happened some other way. Because what they can't explain away is that something happened. If you go to the, you know, like the archives of the Assyrians, or, you know, the, the records that have been discovered in archaeology, they have this like list of 46 cities that they conquered in, in the land of Judah, like Lashish, that one I described before. But... Jerusalem isn't on the list. And, you know, they're so they're saying such proud things about all the things they did in the land of Judah. But if they conquered Jerusalem, why wouldn't they have said something? And typically in ancient times, you would never talk about your defeat. So it's just not mentioned. But in um, Egypt, there's a, a, an Egyptian tradition that says, that the mice ate all the quivers of the, Assyri of the Assyrian army. <laughs> so in Egypt, they believed that a divine hand came down on Assyria and, and stopped them from attacking Jerusalem. And that was good news for the Egyptians because they never came further down and wiped out Egypt either. And that was all recorded in the Wycliffe Commentary. And uh, historians all recognised that something happened. They just fall short of admitting that there was an angel that went and did it. <laughs> but the Lord definitely did something. Now, an angel in real life, how would that have looked? It could have been a terrible disease that, that suddenly struck, you know, and in a hurry, a lot of people died. Um, it, could, it could have been, a, you know, I, I don't really know what it was. It could literally have just been, you know, they all had a heart attack. Some of these things are hard to kind of figure out what happened. But this miracle, it's a miracle, and it's, it's very, very similar to the miracle of the Red Sea where the Lord just put to death the entire Egyptian army in one night. But the king of Assyria survived, and he went back home, and it says at the end of the chapter that his sons uh, you know, killed him in the temple while he was worshipping his god. Now that apparently happens 20 years later. 
In the Bible, it sounds like it's just like an instant thing. It's not, it's 20 years later. So the Bible's not wrong, the Bible just doesn't put the timing in there, and that's completely fine. It doesn't have to put the timing in there, um, but that is exactly what happens. So what we've got here is one of the Bible's great miracles. You know, there are a number of great miracles in the Bible, you know, like the, the Red Sea and the flood and, uh, you know, Jonah and the big fish. There's, there's a couple of miracles in the Bible which are kind of really well known. This is one of the great miracles of the Bible, but is not so well known. And of course, the greatest miracle in the Bible is the resurrection of Christ and our salvation. These are great miracles. Lord, I want to thank you for King Hezekiah and his trust in you. <laughs> and I thank you that it brought about a great deliverance. And right now, Lord, in our own lives, there are things we need deliverance from. There are, Lord, enemies that oppress. Lord, these are not people. Lord, these are the spirits and, and ways of thinking and people that have been influenced by the enemy against us. And, and Lord, there are things that are your enemies. Lord, things that the church needs deliverance from. Lord, false doctrines and, and uh, pride. Lord, churches and people that are so proud and they can't, they just don't know how to love others. And Lord, there are things that are our enemies and we need deliverance from. And I ask today that just as you delivered Hezekiah and Jerusalem from the Assyrians, Lord, deliver us from all our enemies today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.